Well, I first um, just want to say in regards to worship, I, I think it's, it's something, and I'm not, not talking about this church, but in the state of the American church, worship has become something that's left to the professionals and must always be perfect. Um, and I don't think it was ever intended that way. Worship is a corporate thing we do together. Um, and so this morning, not planned, but a beautiful example of the gospel and God using all people to worship him. And so I personally enjoyed it. Um, a couple other things just real quick this morning. Uh, number one, uh, thank you uh, for last week for a really wonderful pastor appreciation uh, Sunday. It was, yeah, blew Lisa and I both away. We were just so incredibly blessed uh, by that and just so thankful for each and every one of you and, and to be here. It was a beautiful, a beautiful day. Um, with that said, today is my favorite holiday. Is my favorite. Do you guys know what holiday it is today? That's not my favorite holiday. Reformation Day. Some of you know. So today is Reformation Day. At Reformation Day, we celebrate uh, Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, uh, you know, uh, protesting some things that were going on and, and, and really recapturing the gospel uh, for, for the church. Um, and every Reformation Day, I'm going to probably recommend you a book. If you want a wonderful book to read, it's a few hundred years old. It's written by a Puritan by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs. It is called The Lost Art of Christian Contentment. If you want to read that book, you let me know and I will get that for you. But Reformation Day, it's important for us as Reformation Christians, and we should celebrate it. Not that I have any issue with Halloween necessarily, but Reformation Day is much more important than Halloween. And today we're going to talk about uh, uh, something that really kind of ties into what uh, uh, happened during the Reformation and the kind of refocusing in on the gospel. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter uh, 7 verses 12 through 14. You can turn there in your pew Bible. If you have your own Bible, you can open up there as well. I think it's really powerful to open our Bibles together as a church. But as we start, have any of you ever seen... One of these. We've seen one of these. Okay, you're probably driving, you've seen a bumper sticker, maybe you've, you've seen a poster. We've, we've seen these around town. You've seen it in a car somewhere. And th within this is the idea uh, of uh, religious pluralism. We live in an, an age of what's called religious pluralism, which really teaches that all roads lead to God. All roads lead to God. We see it all the time in our society. All religions are the same. They're all kind of getting us to the same point. They're getting us to God. And because of this, we should all just pretend we're, we're in this together and we should all get along. Now, I certainly agree that we should all get along and love those who disagree with us. We've talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. However, Jesus completely disagrees with this. I completely disagree with this, that all religions lead to God. That's false. Because this is not true, one of the most loving things we can do is to tell people the truth that there is only one way to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Which is what Jesus is going to tell us four times in a row at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Four times in a row. And we're going to take these in four different sermons, but he's going to talk about two ways, two trees, two claims, and two builders as we wrap up the series. All of these warnings at the end of the Sermon on the Mount focus on eschatological judgment and make it plain that what Jesus is talking about in the kingdom of God is actual true and reality. True and reality. There's only one way to God. Jesus is going to tell us that in four different ways. There's only one way to be saved. This morning I like to say that Jesus is going to bring us to the proverbial fork in the road. He's preaching, all of this is in the Sermon of the Mount, this is all one uh, sermon, and he brings us at the end of his teaching on the Sermon of the Mount to a fork in the road. I remember, I've had a fork in the road experience, you probably have as well, Uh, I was uh, late teens, I was working for a construction company. And that morning, I was tasked with driving to ABC Supply Company in St. Paul off of University Avenue to throw a bunch of stuff in my vehicle to take out to a job site. You know, I'm kind of the young guy, so I get to do all the fun jobs. And so I go to do that. I get the supplies. I load it up in my vehicle. And then I uh, am going to proceed to the job site. And this is back before GPS. Some of, who remembers back before GPS? Okay. <laughs> Some of you don't, that's okay. What did you do? Well, I got out my handy-dandy map book. You guys remember the map book. And so I kind of go through the map book, and I kind of write down my my route, and I take off, and I start driving, and I'm following, you know, my route, looking at my paper back and forth somehow. That's safer than than looking at our phones, but we did it. And so I'm kind of looking down at my paper and making my turns, and and all of a sudden I turn out to a gravel road, and I'm heading way out in western Minnesota, so that's... That makes sense. And so I drive down this gravel road. You know, it's probably a handful of miles, five miles, seemed like it was forever. And I came to one of these, a T in the road, that wasn't in my directions. I had written something down wrong or it didn't exist in the map book. I don't know what happened. But I came to a fork in the road and I had to go east or west. I was heading kind of northeast at the time and I had to choose to go east or west. I had to make a choice. Left or right, east or west. I was a little bit lost, but I knew in my mind that if I took one direction, it was going to take me towards the destination I wanted to go. But if I took the other direction, it was going to take me away from my destination, away from where I wanted to go. And I couldn't go straight because that was a cornfield. That was not an option for me. One way led me toward my destination, the other led me the opposite way. In Jesus' first warning in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to do the same thing to us at the end of his sermon. He's going to say there's a fork in the road, folks, to his hearers, the original listeners. He's saying you can go one way or the other way. You can go left or right. He's saying there's going to be big consequences in this choice One way is the right way and leads you towards God, and one way is the wrong way and leads you away from God. So four warnings. We're going to break these up in the four sermons. Uh, They could be together. They could stand alone. You could put them in groups. But I want to take the appropriate time to explore these four warnings and come to their rhetorical conclusions in the discourse of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus starts off this first warning. Um... And he's going to give us a summary of the Sermon on the Mount, and then he's going to go into the warning. 
So in verse 12 in chapter 7, it's going to say this. He's going to say, So whatever you wish that others do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, my summary of the Sermon on the Mount, my sermon summarizes what the law and the prophets were all about. We've talked about this. He's saying the same thing again. He's saying, they all point to me as the Messiah. I'm summarizing what they all are about in my sermon here. Um, And he's saying, and we've talked a lot about in the Sermon on the Mount, how we are to love people. We're supposed to love people, the Christ-like love. We've talked about things like doing spiritual good to other people, what Jesus talked about. We talked about how we can't throw out the law. It's important. It points us to Jesus and how we are to act. Um, We can't hold grudges against people. We're supposed to be radically generous. All of those things which are true. However, I think Jesus is kind of shifting gears here. That's part of loving people. But there's another important aspect of loving people, which Jesus is going to start to do here, and that's telling people the truth. It's telling people the truth, and he's telling them a hard truth this morning, a truth that probably many of the people hearing the Sermon on the Mount did not want to hear, but he told it to them anyways because Jesus knew it was true. A truth that will separate people by its very nature. Jesus said it would even separate families in both Matthew and Luke. But it is the most loving thing that he can do. And Jesus, as the perfect loving Messiah, does it here. So let's look at what he has to say. Jesus is going to tell us first that we must reject entering the wide gate. He says this in verse uh, 7, uh, 13, and 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus' first warning is about gates and roads. Gates and roads. And here Jesus, he's contrasting two different possible choices we have in life. And he tells us to enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide that leads to destruction. So let's explore the imagery of the wide gate first. So first, the imagery of the wide gate, it's wide because it's easy to follow. By its very nature, a wide gate is easier to get through than a narrow gate, right? By its very nature. The wide is easier. It's more inclusive. Anyone can follow the wide gate. In fact, I would say, naturally, as we're born as sinful human beings, we've entered in the wide gate, and we're heading down the wide road, naturally. The wide gate doesn't really require us to make any uh, choices in life. We can uh, reject the Beatitudes. We can reject Jesus' teaching. Um, We can reject what he's taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and we can just enter into the wide gate. In this sense, what Jesus is saying, he's saying that those who reject him as the Messiah, reject him as the Christ, reject his teaching, um, they are entering the wide gate. They're choosing not to live as how he's demanded to live in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And there is no in-between option here for us, folks. Jesus is Lord or he is nothing, he's saying. So if the wide gate is for many, and it's even most, I would say, um, they reject Jesus' teaching as their Savior, it's the easy road. The wide gate is the easy way to enter into. 
Entering into a wide gate takes no sacrifice. You just can do whatever you want. You want to live how you want to live. You want to act how you want to live. You want to do whatever you want to do. That's entering the wide gate. You don't want to love others radically like Jesus has called us to. That's entering the wide gate. You don't want to offer radical forgiveness like we talked about. Entering the wide gate. You don't want to sacrifice of your time, treasure, and talent and be radically generous. That's entering the wide gate. I would say entering through the wide gate is easy, and I would say it's also selfish. Entering the wide gate is just choosing to be all about you. It's it's what I call a life of self-idolatry. It's just doing whatever you want to do. Whatever makes you happy in that moment, whatever brings you joy, uh, without thinking about others, that is the wide gate. Jesus tells us the outcome of those who, who enter into this gate. He says this, he says, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So Jesus is being very, very clear. Those that reject him as Lord and Savior, those that reject his teaching, he says that the end result of that is destruction. I don't think you could be any more clear. And this falls, by the way, into a, a rich, into the biblical, rich biblical imagery that's found all throughout Scripture. Of God taking the wicked and those who reject him and destroying them. Now, I know this is not easy for some of you to hear, but it is the truth. And I'm not going to hold back the truth because just like Jesus, I love you. Paul, or John says this in Revelation 2.10. He says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The Apostle John says that all of those who don't choose to submit to Jesus are following Satan and would be gathered up at the end of the age and cast into eternal punishment. He's using uh, imagery of a lake of fire. Is there a real lake of fire? Maybe, I don't know. But he's using imagery of God's wrath being poured out. Paul says this in Romans 2, 4, and 5. In the same vein, he says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? And forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He says, But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here, Paul is saying that that those who are choosing to reject Jesus, choosing to live in rebellion against God, They're choosing to enter into the wide gate and they're actually storing up wrath for themselves in doing that. Here's what he's getting at. We are all sinners by nature. And as we live our lives, if we haven't been forgiven in Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, our sin and the wrath that it brings is being stored up against us. If we are living outside of God's grace, outside of the Messiah, We're living in unforgiven sin, and as we sin more and more throughout our life, we're storing up more and more wrath that Paul says God is going to pour out on us on the day of judgment. So the choice to enter through the wide gate is the easy way, but it's the way that leads to eternal separation from God because our sin hasn't been forgiven in Christ. Now, some have argued that the punishment for denying the Messiah is that your soul is destroyed, 
I think we see from Scripture that we've looked at that the rejection of God and His plan of salvation for men is an eternity of punishment. Entering through the wide gate, therefore, leads to an eternity of punishment from God where God's goodness is removed and all that remains is God's unfettered wrath poured out on those who reject His free gift of salvation in Jesus. But there is good news We can also enter through the narrow gate. We can enter through the narrow gate. Jesus said this in verse 14, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus says we are at a fork in the road. He's bringing his audience to a fork in the road. And he's saying there is a second option because of me. After his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he says you can reject me, you can reject my teaching, or you can choose to follow me as Messiah and King and and obey my teaching. But it comes with a warning. And the warning is that the gate is narrow, it's hard. Wide gate, easy to enter through. Narrow gate is difficult to enter through. It's a difficult teaching. And Jesus says it's difficult to enter the narrow gate for a few reasons. First of all, He says that we must repent and believe in Matthew 4.17. This all predicates the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the first thing, if we're going to enter through the narrow gate, requires repentance. Repentance is not easy. It's not natural of us. Repentance is saying we're entering into the wide gate, we're going down the wide road, and we're saying, No. I'm, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to turn towards the narrow gate. I'm going to ask Jesus forgiveness for my sins. I'm going to turn from the direction I'm going. I'm going to ask for forgiveness in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on the cross. Repentance is hard. It requires us to be born again through the Spirit. But we must repent and believe the gospel, Jesus is saying. Secondly, finding the narrow gate is difficult because Jesus says not only that we are to repent, but we also are to obey. We're to obey Jesus. All of the Sermon on the Mount is a call for obedience. It's like the hymn we've sang here a few times since I've been here, Trust and Obey. So yes, we repent of our sins, we turn towards God, we are fully forgiven and renewed through the Spirit, but then we must walk in obedience to Christ, empowered by the Spirit to do so. So we repent, we believe the gospel, then we obey. Thirdly, the gate is narrow, the third reason why, is because we're leaving kingdoms. All of this is preached in this, this dichotomy between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. All of, the, all of the book of Matthew. When we repent, believe the gospel, and follow Jesus as our true king, we are leaving the kingdom of this world and becoming a part of Jesus' kingdom. Well, what happens when that? Who's the ruler of the kingdom of this world? Well, scripture says it's Satan. And when you leave the kingdom of this world and you come and join the kingdom of heaven, the rightful king Jesus, the world rejects you. The world rejects you. You're going to have friends that reject you, maybe family members that reject you. Some of you have been down that road, and it's difficult. I know people who have lost jobs because they've chosen to follow Jesus rather than follow the ruler of this world. So entering the narrow gate is difficult. 
And Jesus is using the imagery of entering one of two gates, a fork in the road. It's naturally limiting. There's two choices. The wide gate, which leads to destruction, a place where God actively pours out his righteous, just wrath. It's wide. It's easy to follow. The other option for us this morning is the narrow gate, which comes through faith and repentance. Trust in Jesus as a Messiah, submitting to the Lordship of Christ. But it's narrow and it's hard. Few will find it. Most will reject it, Jesus says. But here's the key. It leads to eternal and abundant life in Christ. It leads to eternal and abundant life, life as it's meant to live, fully redeemed as humanity at the second coming of Christ. When Jesus returns in a blink of an eye, we will be restored and given heavenly bodies. We will, all sin will be wiped away. Wickedness will be wiped off the earth. And we will live as we are truly meant to live as human beings in perfect harmony and unity with God for all eternity. That's what's at the end of the narrow gate. Jesus' message is naturally limiting. We have two choices. He gave his audience two choices, and I'm going to give you two choices. Jesus is rejecting and destroying the idea of, of, of uh, uh, pluralism, religious pluralism, or all religions lead to God. He's rejecting this idea of, you know, of Neem uh, Kirli Baba, who says all religions are the same. They all lead to God. God is everybody. That's what religious pluralism says. Everyone's God. We're just all gods getting to God. But Norm, what Norm Geisler says and what Jesus is getting at is this. Jesus is the only way because the Bible says it's true. Why? Because only he can bridge the gap between God and man. There's no other way. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus bridges the gap between God and man through his death on the cross. Only he can forgive sinners. Only he can make us right with God. Jesus alone. No other way. And so I bring you to a proverbial fork in the road as well this morning, which brings me to this. Which gate are you going to choose? Some of you have chosen to enter the narrow gate long ago, and I praise God for that. Some of you have been going to church for 40 years and you've never entered the narrow gate. Some of you have heard the gospel message for the first time. I want to encourage you, enter into the narrow gate Repent and believe the gospel. It is true. It is true. We have the same choice that Jesus gave his original hearers. He, I don't mean to be harsh, but I must tell you the truth this morning if I love you, and I do. With every fiber of my being, I believe the Bible and what it says. With every, every fiber of my being. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And in him, you find full forgiveness of all of your sin because of his shed blood. All you have to do is come by faith. Repentance and faith. If you have never done that, you are at a fork in the road this morning. Enter the narrow gate. Don't reject the Messiah. Don't continue down the wide road. Repent and believe the gospel and you will be saved and your eternity will be set and you will reach who you are meant to be in Christ through the redeeming work of Jesus and spend an eternity with him. I would die for that because it's true. Believe the gospel. 
Believe the gospel. And in it, you will find your ultimate joy in Jesus. Enter the narrow gate. Repent and believe. One of my favorite uh, books and movies is The Chronicle of Narnia. And there's this scene where uh, one of the kids asked, asked the beaver, talking about Aslan, who's the Christ figure in the book. This is a very Christian book of Christian rich imagery. And, and she asked, she says, she says, is Aslan very safe? And the beaver says, no, he's not safe, but he's good and he's true. Following Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. He is good. Repent and believe the gospel and you will receive eternal life this morning. Secondly, our second point, those of you that are in Christ, you've already entered the narrow gate. Who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell? Jesus is being blunt. Eternity is on the line. I believe there are people streaming into the wide gate all around us, heading down the wide road which leads to destruction. People we know, people we love, people we care about, family, friends, co-workers. Who are we going to tell about the gospel of salvation? People who haven't heard it, people who don't know Jesus. I was reading in a news article this week, over half of Christians have told a friend, coworker, or family member about a news story or a conspiracy theory, which I have no problem with news stories, and I have no problem with digging for the truth. As people of the truth, we should dig for the truth, and sometimes the news doesn't give us the truth. I have no issue with that. The issue I had with was on the flip side of that, almost no Christian told a friend, family member, or coworker about the gospel. What I'm saying is we have our priorities wrong. We have our priorities wrong. Sharing news stories and that thing, that's fine. You can do that. But if all you're doing is sharing what's going on in the local news or something you discovered online, and you're not sharing the gospel, we have our priorities off. We must make that our priority. The church of Jesus Christ, we hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven and it is the gospel message. We have that. We must share that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and the only way to the Father. We must warn those and plead with those who are entering through the wide gate. We must point them to Christ the Messiah. We must warn them of the wrath to come, as Paul says. We must make evangelism and gospel proclamation a priority as a church. We must do it. Spending more time arguing people into the kingdom about what Jesus has done and pointing them to scripture and going after their worldviews and less time arguing with them about news stories. This is what we celebrate on Reformation Sunday is the gospel. The beautiful truth that Jesus died for you bled for you, was crucified for you, and three days rose again, conquering Satan, sin, and death for you. Go, believe the gospel, and share it with others so they too may find (laughs) eternal life. Let us pray. Lord God, I'm thankful for your son, Jesus. Who saved a sinner like me who doesn't deserve your grace. I haven't done anything to deserve your grace. 
And you have bestowed me with grace upon grace upon grace through the shed blood of Jesus. And you offer that to each and every person here who has not believed. God, I pray that you work in the hearts of anyone this morning who hasn't put their trust and faith in you, Lord Jesus. Draw them to yourself. Draw them to you so that they see the beauty and the truth of the cross of Christ. God, I pray for each person here that has put their faith in you, that does trust in you, Lord Jesus. Make us bold, bold as a lion, as Martin Luther said, to share the gospel, the truth of Jesus, with as many people as we can, and prayerfully praying to you to change their hearts, to bring them into your kingdom, into the narrow way. God, we're called to proclaim the truth. We don't change hearts. We don't change minds, but you do, through the power of your Spirit, All the time, all over the world, you are changing people's hearts and minds and bringing them into your kingdom. God, all we have to do is proclaim the truth and you do the work. God, may we be faithful in that. God, help us to do that well. And as we do that, we pray for fruit, for changed lives, entering into the narrow gate. We thank you and we pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.